Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. Merry Christmas, Epiphany. God bless you on this first Sunday after Christmas. It was so good to gather with many of you at our outdoor service last Thursday on Christmas Eve. Despite the wicked weather and the various COVID unknowns, we got to sing our Christmas carols and sing Silent Night via candlelight. It really was great. I'm so grateful for those of you who could be there. And in case you missed it, there is a special podcast version of this year's Christmas homily available on the church website. In fact, it's on the same place you found this sermon in our podcast feed. So if you missed our Christmas Eve time together, you can find the homily from Christmas Eve there. After today's service, there are no announcements. Stay tuned to your emails for information on our next uh, gathering um, or next week's service, whether we'll be online or whether we'll be in person. In the meantime, have a Merry Christmas and we will see each other again in 2021. My brothers and sisters, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Let us begin our service together with our confession of sin. Good morning, this is Jay Springer. Here's a confession of sin today. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany. This is Sadie Arango. Our psalm for today is Psalm 130. Out of the deep I have called unto you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. O let your ears consider well the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, were to mark what is done amiss, O Lord, who could abide it? For there is mercy with you, therefore you shall be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits for him. In his word is my trust. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, trust in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all their sins. Good morning. This is Danny Hove. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Our reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 35. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, 
for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Ani, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Epirath, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Adar. The Word of the Lord. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them a second birth. Amen. Merry Christmas to you this morning, Epiphany. I hope this service finds you well in whatever state you are in this post-Christmas Sunday. Whether you're traveling to go be with family, whether you're at home Zooming with family, again, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, one of my favorite things about the Anglican tradition is that the 12 days of Christmas, right, that the party doesn't stop on 1225. It goes all the way into the new year. And so I say again to you, Merry Christmas. Uh, in our Genesis reading today, as we continue the series we've been working on since last May, I want to skip ahead a bit to something that happens in Genesis 35. Last week we were in Genesis 33. I'm going to skip ahead to Genesis 35. And it's a sad reading today, but one that will eventually bear out and point to a happy ending. We've been following the life of Jacob now for a couple of months at least, and we're going to see Jacob lose someone that he truly loves dearly in this passage today. But ironically, it's a passage in Genesis that's going to help us see what Christmas is all about, right? That's Charlie Brown's question. What is Christmas all about? And our reading today from Genesis 35 is a deceptively Christmas reading from the first book of the Bible. Jacob and his family have arrived at a point in their life together where they could kind of relax and breathe a bit. Not only are Jacob and his family free from the clutches of Laban, uh, Jacob's deceiving father-in-law figure that we spent some time with a few chapters back, but the family is now fear from retribution from Esau's twin brother, or Jacob's twin brother, Esau. At what point the, the rivalry between Jacob and Esau was so intense that Jacob was stealing things from his brother and his brother wanted to murder him for it. He had murderous intentions. And God was actively working with Jacob, working on behalf of Jacob with Laban and Esau to bring about a happy ending for Jacob and his family. And so now Jacob and his family are free to live their lives under God's providence in this land called Israel that will be one day called Israel that was promised to God by his family, promised by God to his family. Uh, so now Jacob finally gets a chance to breathe. And in Genesis 34, the last chapter, Jacob's kids get the family into some trouble. That's true. But the incident eventually passes by God's grace. And I hope to discuss some of that trouble with you in a bonus uh, podcast episode at some point in the future here. But that doesn't stop the specter of death 
from showing itself over this family. As Rachel, the first woman that Jacob ever fell in love with, his uh, first woman that he really just flipped over, um, she goes into a very difficult labor. And that's where we're going to pick up today in Genesis 35. I'll read the passage for you to remind you where we are. Then they, Jacob and his family, journeyed from Bethel. And while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had a hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. I mean, what a tough scene. You remember from a number of chapters back that Jacob has two wives, Rachel and Leah, and the two have been extremely competitive for Jacob's time and affection since the very beginning of this tumultuous polygamous arrangement. Rachel was prettier, and and so she had Jacob's initial attention. But Leah was quite good at having sons, and so Jacob's attention and his affection shifted to her as the more fertile wife than the less-than-fertile Rachel from our reading today. And the result from this whole um, tension in this polygamous marriage was that Jacob had 11 sons and one daughter. But of all of these kiddos, Rachel had only given birth to one of them. And we're meant to understand in our story today that across the years, Rachel is still trying to bear her husband more sons. But the drive to have more kids has resulted in this dangerous pregnancy. So the feelings of needing her husband's affection, the feelings of being a second-class spouse are still there. And so it's very, very sad that she continues uh, to work through this dangerous pregnancy as she's getting significantly older. And Rachel does give birth to a son, her second son behind Joseph. And this son is named Benjamin, a name that means son of my right hand. It's a name that connotates just how much Jacob, his father, loves him. It's a remarkable name that places the youngest child in the family, which is historically this low-point position in ancient Near East culture. If you were the youngest son, you were at the bottom of the family totem pole. But when you name your son, son of my right hand, that's a name that says, actually, I dibbed this son way high up on the totem pole. He's at my right hand. Normally, it's the eldest son who is at the right hand of the father, learning how to take over the tribe, learning how to take over the family. But now we have the youngest son being named the son of my right hand which is sort of a coup being approved by the father from birth. It's a very uh, interesting situation that Jacob is putting the family in. And we sometimes forget that childbirth was not uh, the medicalized situation we know today, especially in the ancient world, right? Uh, Some of the numbers are absolutely staggering. Some historians have estimated that one out of every four children in the ancient world died within the first year of their life. And not only that, but of all children, in general, 46% of them, nearly half of all ancient children, died by the age of five. The odds of the mother dying in childbirth, we don't have numbers, but we know that the numbers were worse, significantly worse back then at a time before, you know, C-sections and all of the different interventions we have now. 
And then you have on top of that starvation and war and famine and drought. It was simply a hard time to be alive in the ancient world, especially for young kids. Nowadays, the um, obstetrics field has cut the infant mortality rate and the motherhood mortality rate exponentially, you know? Last year, Beth and I experienced that ourselves at McGee Hospital in Pittsburgh. And, And while we understand that things can and do go wrong with the process of giving birth to a child, we know that's happened in our church family in the past year. It's nothing like the mix of hope and fear and anxiety and anticipation that mothers in the ancient world experienced. And sadly, the worst case fears come true for Jacob and Rachel. The woman that Jacob first falls in love with, the woman he famously picks up a very heavy well lid and chucks it aside at a show of a a feat of strength to impress her, this woman from his youth that he loved with and worked 14 years to marry, she dies in childbirth, leaving behind her first son, Joseph, and the new baby, Benjamin. I hear what you're saying, I know. Gee, thanks, Pastor Brian. Way to drag down our Christmas high. I thought there was something in this passage about the meaning of Christmas. Read the room, Brian. Give us a little holly jolly today. Death and Christmas together? You know, we'd prefer something a little lighter if you didn't mind. And I hear you. I understand. And I want to tell you why this passage has everything to do with Christmas. And I'm going to start by reading a few more verses on in our reading. And, And here's the next part of our passage. And so Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Rachel, you see, dies and is buried about a 25-minute walk north of where Jesus Christ will be born. This is the first mention of Bethlehem we have in the entirety of the Bible. This tiny little town uh, south of Jerusalem, uh, a Jerusalem suburb of sorts. Uh, It's tiny. Not a lot happens there. And this is the first time we hear it mentioned in Scripture. We sing of the little town of Bethlehem every year. We do it from Black Friday until after the 12 days of Christmas has passed. And we think of another happier mother and another child when we think of Bethlehem. We think of Jesus and Mary. But the first reference to the place of Jesus' birth in the Old Testament, it's not a joyous occasion. It's an occasion of death. It's an occasion of great sorrow and of grief. I'm certainly surprised how much Christmas and death are discussed together in all of our own Christmas literature, even now in 2020, almost 2021. You know, Christmas and death, you don't think of them being paired together, but then you read the climax of Charles Dickens' uh, The Christmas Carol, and what happens? The ghost of Christmas future comes and shows Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge his future. And Scrooge is confronted by the fact that he will soon die. His grave will be neglected. His belongings will be stolen and fenced uh, to pawnbrokers. And the only person who people, the only people who are going to come to Scrooge's funeral are the business partners he had who only care about whether free lunch is going to be there. And on top of it all, the, the, the gist of everything he's going through is that he's probably going to burn in hell for being a wretched and wicked and terrible human being. What does the future uh, look like for Scrooge? Death. 
And what does Charles Dickens, how does he describe the ghost of Christmas future? Well, he's a hooded person with a scythe. He is the grim reaper. So even then we have death and Christmas paired together. And, you know, I was thinking about this recently when I read how one writer tried to articulate why some of the classic Christmas songs we sing every year have stuck around since the 1940s. The Bing Crosby tunes, you know, Brenda Lee rocking around the Christmas tree. That was technically the 60s, but same kind of thing. The Nat King Cole things. And uh, some of those folks say that the tunes are sticking around because they were the Christmas songs of the baby boomer generation. And so they're sticking around because that's what grandma and grandpa shared with the future generations underneath them. But I don't think that's necessarily 100% true. White Christmas by Bing Crosby is a tune from 1942, right? That song is 78 years old. And I'll Be Home for Christmas, another one of those tunes, is right behind it. That's 1943. That's 77 years old. Uh, Lord willing, there's a very distinct chance that uh, my family will still be singing those songs by Bing Crosby when they turn 100 years old, if you can believe that. And these are songs that came out of the World War II era, when soldiers were stationed overseas and fighting, and they were longing to be home. But instead, that Christmas, they were doing what? They were facing death in the middle of a war zone. Right? These are songs that have heart, and they were written for men who might very well soon die. That some of our great Christmas classics, these songs, have a specter of death about them. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. It means he's not coming home for Christmas. And he's dreaming of a white Christmas because he can't be home. He's across the ocean on a foreign battlefield. I mean, talk about the emotions, the heart that these songs have, because they deal directly with the idea of Christmas and death. And it's not just the music from the 40s either, right? What is this, the, the anti-war pre- protest guilt trip happy Xmas war is over song about that John Lennon wrote, right? It's got a children's choir singing in the background. War is over if you want it, right? And, and to say nothing of the great um, band aid, right? Uh, the tune from 1984, all the musicians getting together, Do They Know It's Christmas, right? A fundraiser song that's there to help starving children in Africa and keep them from dying. And if you want the real deep cuts on Christmas songs about death, how about the sort of wacky, vaguely evangelical, made-for-TV film Christmas Shoes? I hope you've never seen it. It's actually really bad. It's sort of one step above Hallmark, but, but way below everything else Christmas movie-wise. And it's about a boy who gives his mother, who's dying of cancer, a pair of shoes uh, on her deathbed so that she can look nice when she dies and goes and meets Jesus. And it's just sentiment and schmaltz, and it's, it's really not good, so don't seek it out. But even in those circumstances, people are actively pairing Christmas and death together. And, you know, maybe this is something that, that's really relevant for your family right now. Christmas is often a time where grief is resurfacing itself from year to year. And for many of us, you know, this is the first year we're celebrating Christmas without a loved one who died from COVID-19. Or maybe they died from some other hardship this year. And many families take time on the holidays to go lay poinsettias or wreaths on their loved one's graves. Despite the sugar and the gifts and the warm fuzzies on the cold nights, 
the specter of death still plays an important part of our Christmas celebrations, secular and sacred, whether we acknowledge it or not. Indeed, it's a sad, ironic twist that in Matthew's gospel, the story of Jesus' birth is directly followed by what Christians have historically called the massacre of the innocents. And I, you know the story. After Jesus is born and receives his visit from the wise men, King Herod orders the children of Bethlehem slaughtered because he hears rumors that one of them is destined to eventually usurp him as the king of Judea. Matthew says uh, that this Christmas massacre is sadly foretold by Jeremiah, who said this, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel weeping for her children. That's the same Rachel who died in our reading today, just outside of Bethlehem. And she's weeping in the heavens with sadness as the children of Bethlehem, her descendants, generations on in the future, have been murdered by a wicked king. Herod doesn't kill Jesus when he massacres the children in Bethlehem. He misses killing Jesus by God's providence. But Herod's son... Um, would complete the job about 30 years later. Uh, Herod the Great, this king, has a son who goes by the name Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is the Herod who uh, participates in Jesus' trial when he's eventually crucified. But unlike Rachel, who dies in childbirth, competing for the attention and love of her husband, and unlike these children caught in the regional genocide of a political madman who is out for blood to keep his throne, Unlike them all, death does not stick for Jesus. Killed on Friday, alive on Sunday, Jesus ends the cycle of death through his resurrection on the next great Christian holiday. As one columnist wrote about this dual Christian hope, anyone can be born, but not everyone can rise from the dead. And so this morning, my friends, I invite you to to mix up your holidays a little bit. Um, to see in our reading from Genesis a glimpse of the good things that happen in Bethlehem in the future. Because across the 12 days of Christmas, you can make it just a little bit better. In fact, you can make it a lot better by cutting in some resurrection power. Sing of the baby laid in the manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, and also sing of the Savior whose grave linens were left neatly folded by his empty tomb. Neither the feeding trough nor the tomb could hold back Jesus Christ because he is the Christ of Christmas who came with the intent of saving the world, meekly taking on the human uh, form of a human. And he is also the Christ of the resurrection, the one who will end death and suffering for all of us and bring us into a kingdom where none of this um, Wicked tyrant kingship happens, but we are under the lordship of a God who loves and cares for us deeply, and as Revelations promises, there will be no hunger or thirst or sadness or tears. Which is why I started with the lyrics from Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and why I'm going to end with them for you again now. 
um, because the great hymn acknowledges that one day Rachel will no longer struggle to find love and affection. She will no longer fight against her body. She will no longer wrestle with earthly sorrow or despair. Jacob will one day be reunited with the woman he fell in love with first. And Rachel's children, including the ones murdered by Herod, are not lost through the throes of history. I read these lyrics to you again in closing. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Amen. Good morning. This is Candy Springer. Please join me as we say the Apostles' Creed and Lord's Prayer. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. This is Laurie Hof. I'll be leading the prayers of the people today. Would you please pray with me? Here's the collect for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, kindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. On our church prayer list today, we remember Rich Wilson's mother, Carol, Rich and Jean Wilson's daughter, Rebecca, and family, Sarah Condon, Beth Jarrell's Aunt Janet, Belly Makick and her son, Charles, Amy and Gabriel Staggs, Zach Starrett, Regina Butler's mother, Jeff Campbell, and the family of Elmer Hemmerly in our prayers. Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us, especially those on our church prayer list, to your never-failing care and love for this life and for the life to come, knowing that you are doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Here is a prayer for mission. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. 
for the honor of your name. Amen. Please take a moment to share your own personal prayers and thanksgivings, both silently and aloud, with your family. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-loved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their request. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age of the world to come. Amen. Heavenly Father, grant these our prayers for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let's conclude our time together with this prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you've made. We bless you for our creation and for our preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth our praise to you, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. And friends, glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Pennsylvania.